Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Offsets it a little bit to the left. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Williams, hello, record book. Ricky Williams. team to be behind 14 to nothing and then not to lose at school and to go on to win. That proves you deserve to be number one and that's what you are. Young from the shotgun. Back to throw. Vince Lord. Under pressure. He'll tuck it in one. Vince to the five. Young. Touchdown Texas. Touchdown Vince Young. He's done it again. Longhorn Nation. We're Hello and welcome into another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. My name is Matt Galatson and I will be your host. And today I'm joined by the recruiting Jedi master over at Sports Illustrated, John Garcia. John, how's it going? It's going well, my friend. How about you? Pretty good. We've had a pretty crazy week in Longhorn land, um, as you can imagine, after, you know, a, a shocking loss to Arkansas that... You know, I'm not sure that everybody should be shocked that they actually lost the game. I think it's more of the manner in which they lost the game. Yep. Um, it was it was never close. It was complete domination in every phase of the game by Arkansas. Uh, Texas ended up losing 40 to 21. Um, and Hudson Card got pulled in his first road start in an SEC environment in the third quarter in favor of Casey Casey Thompson. But we'll get into that decision here in a little bit. First, what I want to get from you is your impressions on the game, what went wrong, uh, where the Longhorns kind of go from here. Well, obviously a lot went wrong. I think if you just go by the numbers, of course, the rush defense has to come into question. You know, this Arkansas team uh, really wasn't a threat to push the ball down the field. You know, Sam Pittman's old school, SEC O-line coach. What does he want to do? Massive O-line throw a bunch of backs at you, including the quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, who is obviously a more accomplished runner than passer at this point. So you kind of knew what you were getting into with Arkansas, and they still were able to go out and accomplish that rushing for 333 yards, a number that I think Longhorn fans will remember for quite some time. But when you watch the tape, I don't think this was a schematic advantage for Arkansas. I think a couple of things broke their way. Uh, and the second level of Texas's defense didn't hold up their end. You know, the, Arkansas will be known for offensive line play, but this this year two group 
under Pittman isn't quite there yet. Now, they're not bad. Uh, they're certainly middle of the road SEC, which is good against non-SEC competition. Uh, but it's not like they were driving Texas off the ball all game. I thought the assignment football necessary to slow down a quarterback who can pull it and run it was where Texas struggled, which was a little surprising to me because they saw some of that against Louisiana uh, and Levi Lewis. Uh, but obviously, K.J., uh, Jefferson, a bigger, more physical representation of what a quarterback can do with the ball in his hand. So what that means is, is you have to stay in your fits. You can't overrun things and your eye discipline really has to be at a premium. Uh, think, think of old school college football running the option, right? It was never sexy. It was never anything that physically overwhelmed you. It was mental. And I think Arkansas did a lot of those conventional things to get Texas in a bind uh, on some of the bigger runs uh, linebackers were overrunning the cutback lanes and allowing for not only Jefferson, but some of these running backs, Raheem Sanders uh, in particular, AJ green on his big run to cut back and go against the grain. It was almost like there was an eagerness there. Uh, and, and obviously in football, you know, over aggression is not always a great thing coming from a defense. I did think that the defense started to press once that lead started to balloon. So uh, a leak became a flood at that point from a run defense perspective. But I actually thought the defensive line played relatively well. And I thought the secondary played well. We knew Jefferson wasn't going to throw it 50 times, uh, but he was limited when he did complete passes, just 138 yards on 14 uh, completion. So I thought Texas's defense at that second level was really the focal point of the issues, uh, missed tackles, missed assignments, uh, and, and really uh, just kind of that, that discipline to, to play within yourself and not overextend, which is really hard to ask of, uh, you know, 20 year old uh, prospects or 20 year old college players. Um, and, and then offensively, we all knew, you know, Bajan Robinson is going to get all this attention. Arkansas is really good in the front seven. Their linebackers are actually the strength of their defense uh, with Grant Morgan, Bumper Poole, and those guys. Uh, and they really screamed downhill all game against Robinson. So you were just kind of sitting there waiting. Who, who is going to step up? Who's going to be that other guy? Who's that number two option in the Texas offense? And I just think it kind of never showed up. Hudson Card was very pressed. Uh, he was very uh, kind of panicked out there, um, and and he really couldn't get the ball uh, to to his top wide receivers. I thought you know Jordan Whittington's the most talented and experienced combination wide out. Just five grabs, and some of them came via Casey Thompson when he replaced Hudson Card. And I thought kind of the microcosm of the game, Matt, was that sequence uh, in the first half where. It looks like Card is going to hit Whittington for an easy touchdown. Ball sails a little bit. Whittington can't grab it. And then Texas misses the field goal right after that as a result. So you were going to get seven. Then you were going to get three. You ended up getting nothing. And then Arkansas runs it down your throat on their next possession. So a true 14-point swing there in a 19-point final score. I thought that was the microcosm of the game. It just kind of felt like it wasn't Texas's day. Uh, they couldn't adjust. You know, if Robinson is stuffed, what do we do offensively? Defensively, we know Arkansas is going to run the ball. You have to stop that first, and they never did. So it kind of got out of hand and, and stayed that way. Yeah, and, you know, there was, there was a couple of opportunities that Texas had to kind of take control of the game or take momentum back. 
Uh, one of those was at the very beginning when they had the, the muff punt that got reversed and didn't go their way. Um, I do think that if that had stuck, we would have had a little bit different of a result. I'm not saying Texas would have won, but that would have, I think that coming out of the gate would have kind of deflated Arkansas a bit, deflated uh, the fans a little bit. You know, Texas probably could have gotten into the end zone behind Bijan there and, and things might have played out a little bit differently. Uh, but just based on the way they got beaten in, you know, at every level of the defense, um, you know, and, and the way they got beat up front, especially on the offensive line, you know, they couldn't get anything moved, uh, it seemed like. So that that stuff, I think, would have still played out throughout the game. And I think Arkansas probably still takes, takes it because of that stuff. But, you know, the, the big thing that came out of this uh, for me on the defensive side was that, and you mentioned it a little bit, um, Texas had so many problems with missed, missed tackles last season, and that was still very, pro- very, very prevalent. DeMarvion Overshone had some moments, but he also missed some tackles. Luke Brockermeyer had some issues. You know, they, they, they don't have outside of the talent of Overshone, who's extremely talented, they don't have that dominant guy in the middle of the defense that, that I think they desperately need. Um, and that I think is going to be a huge issue for them moving forward this season. 100% Matt. I, I think you're on it. Um, when you're, when you're talking about playing in the big 12, uh, a pass first league, I think you can hide some of those discrepancies uh, and the move with overshone down to linebacker, although still certainly experimental and, and you know, you're going to have those growing pains. Who, who's the counter to that? And that, and that move to me was more of a, a, a willingness to combat the pass. Well, a team like Arkansas is going to run the football right at you. Um, and, and I think that really showed up big against Texas. They don't have that alpha at the second level uh, to play downhill uh, against the run. And, and when they did start shuffling guys in, again, that overaggression uh, and eagerness was used against them. It was almost like Arkansas knew it was coming with, uh, with Kendall Bryles, who I believe is their offensive coordinator. So, yeah, I, I think you need to find that, that captain, that tone setter at the second level, who on fourth and one is going to be the guy to make the play. You know, uh, I think that's, uh, again, when you talk about recruiting and you talk about building a roster, you can't necessarily find that guy uh, through the ranks. It's, it's one of those things where you either have it or you don't. If you're that, that tough grunt, meet me in the back alley kind of guy, I'm just not sure if I've seen that from Texas at the second level. And that's going forward, that's the, the position group that I would certainly keep the closest eye on because something has to change there. Um, we all are, we're going to talk about the quarterback change, I'm sure, but something has to change in that linebacker room, whether it's shuffling in pass rushers, getting more athletic or getting more mature and under control with guys who maybe aren't as physically gifted, but they have the wherewithal to play within themselves, maybe just a little bit more. Yeah, and you know, a lot of Texas fans aren't going to want to hear this particular example of, of why I think this is so important. But if you if you go over to the Texas A&M Colorado game, um, Colorado's middle linebacker, his name escapes me right now, but he's just a big, classic, hit you in the mouth linebacker, and he was the focal point of that defense, and he was the focal point of sh- shutting down Texas A&M's offense for really, you know the entire game all the way up until the final two minutes when, when Zach Calzada was, you know, finally able to push through at the very end there. 
and that is just so important. I'm a little biased towards the linebacker position because, you know, uh, that's the position I wanted to play growing up. That's the position my brother played in high school. So maybe I have a little bit too much emphasis on it, but it's it's such an important position because it's, I mean, like you said, it's it's not just the the talent. It's, you know, you, you need to have that mentality. You need to have that mean streak, but you also need to, to have that um, – that mental aspect of being able to direct the defense and keep everybody in line and keep the communication going. And that's one of the things that they talked about after the game was that there was just a breakdown in communication on the defense. And I don't know how that happens on defense. Um, it, like I can understand on, on offense when, you know, you're in a rough environment, you're, you're having trouble getting the calls from the quarterback and that's one thing, but when you're on defense, it shouldn't be the same way. Um, obviously to me, it kind of seems like they're, uh, still trying to pick up uh, Kwiatkowski's defense. And if that's the case, that's fine. But um, that, you know, they've had eight months to do that. They need to, to start taking steps towards fixing that. But communication breakdowns on a defense are pretty concerning. Yeah, and it's not like there was a, a ton of tempo coming from Arkansas. This wasn't, you know, Ole Miss first drive against Louisville where everybody's like, what's happening? You know, that that would be a little bit more, understandable but when when it's a rushing attack and it's and it's a kind of a simple scheme at least the game plan appeared to be against against texas for arky it was it was outside zone it was rpo it was short efficient passes uh and the counter game uh, to go against that aggression uh it, it's not like it was uh, appeared to be rocket science uh, again you still have to go out and execute it but like you said communication should not have been that big of an issue. Uh, they, they've got a great receiver, uh, Arkansas does, in Burks. So maybe there was some back-end stuff that, that was, was necessary in terms of communication pre-snap. Uh, but again, there wasn't a whole lot of shots down the football field, um, really not even the threat of that. Uh, he only averaged seven yards a catch uh, in the game. And he was, good. he was a key figure. But it's not like anybody was taking uh, real deep shots for the most part in the game. So I think the communication could maybe come from the secondary. You know, that's the most experienced group uh, with, with B.J. Foster out there who, who made a great play on that interception. Um, maybe it needs to come and trickle on down from there. You know, sometimes the point of communication is harder to decipher than the actual communication itself. So those are things that I've seen other programs do. Uh, when communication does break down, because as we know, Texas is going to face offenses that move a lot faster than Arkansas does and offenses that are going to be a lot more exotic from a play calling perspective than, than what Arkansas had to do to win that game. Yeah. And um, you know, obviously the, the other big story coming out of this game is the Hudson Carr got pulled in the third quarter, late in the third quarter for Casey Thompson, uh, card was visibly rattled you can see it from the tv um but also his his teammates uh Bijan robinson and demarvion overshone in the monday media availability said uh you know they pointed out that he was in fact rattled they said it flat out hudson was rattled and that you know he's he's a true he's not a true freshman but this is his first true road test um i highly doubt that he traveled with the team to any road environments last year and even when they were quote unquote road environments last year they weren't true road environments um so this is his first exposure to this kind of thing and you know playing at lake travis doesn't prepare you for going to an sec uh an sec environment 
at night on the road, all that stuff. So it, I'm not, no one should be surprised that he's, that he was a little bit shaken. Um, but what happened as a result of that is Casey Thompson came in and scored two touchdowns very quickly. He was efficient in the pass game. He, he, he used his legs in the run game and got two quick scores really without him coming into the game, that thing would have been 40 to seven instead of, you know, 40 to 21. So Sark has elected to go with him against rice. He's Casey Thompson's going to start against rice. Um, and he, he also said that Hudson will play, but what is your big takeaway from Sark's decision? And how do you think this kind of unfolds? Well, I think at some point Sark was, was utilizing Casey as kind of the fail safe. Um, he's obviously a, an older, more mature quarterback, just by, just by default. Uh, he's a guy who could rely on his legs a little bit more and, and really his biggest strength over card even going into the season, I know we, we talked about this at length, was when he is in the pocket, his athleticism and feel, which again, comes with maturity, experience, practice reps in his case, et cetera, was a little bit better than Card's pure arm talent. Um, or excuse me, better than Card, despite Card winning because he had the better pure arm talent and ability to throw on the run. So this wasn't a home run blowout victory for Card in the preseason, which is why Thompson has gotten run in each of the last few games anyway. Um, but I just think the fail safe was because Sark just looked at what Thompson has done, you know, that bowl game against Colorado. I know it's Colorado and I know it was a bowl game. What does it mean? Different coaching staff, blah, blah, blah. Sure. But you know, those, those five drives after he came in for Ellinger were all uh, resulting in points against Louisiana. Every drive Texas wanted to score with Thompson, they scored. One touchdown, one field goal, uh, and then they ran out the clock, or they were trying to run out the clock and get out of there, so they ended up punting. And then, obviously, he comes in against Arkansas Saturday, multiple touchdown drives, and he caps each drive himself with touchdown runs, including that second one, which was really – by the time he's rolling out, you're like, there's no way he can keep the ball and get in, but he found his way in. So he's got this, he's got this feel – and craftiness for uh, defenders, uh, whether in space or in the pocket, which is really invaluable for the quarterback position. But again, going back to those drives, and that's all we've really seen from Thompson. So 10 drives over the last, I guess, three games that he has played. Every time Texas has wanted to put up points, he has led them to points, mostly touchdowns, a few field goals sprinkled in, and then the one drive where, it was, uh, it was about killing the clock. So you have to go back to that at some point. The numbers, the results are there. And I think that's what Sark said. He's like, look, you know, it is what it is. This guy's been able to get the job done a little bit better. How does that, now how does that change when you are the starter going into the game, which Thompson has never really been? Like going into Colorado, going into Louisiana, going into Arkansas, he wasn't, the all week guy getting the one one reps he wasn't the guy all week who was leading that quarterback room and and getting the first communication with sark with the assistant coaches um now how does he take that stuff and deal with it remains to be seen but i do think that this is the right time to try something like this you're going against an inferior opponent at home night game and you're pissed off right you should be you you were 
kind of embarrassed uh, on national TV. And, and Texas is one of those programs, Matt, where people on the outside, because of the, the resources and the brand and, and how hyped Texas is, you know, perhaps, you know, not so deservingly. So people kind of enjoy it, I think, when Texas doesn't do well. Just like Ohio State, you know, people enjoyed Oregon beating Ohio State over the weekend. So I just think you kind of have to lean into that, embrace it a little bit, um, and dig in against an inferior opponent when you can. So I do think this is the right time for Texas to do something like this. Uh, but like you said, Hudson Card is still going to play. So I, I do think there's still some sorting out here. But um, I think in terms of the schedule, this is the right time to adjust and tweak. Uh, and, and we're going to see what happens. Um, so it, it's interesting you talk about people uh, enjoying when Texas is bad or when they're not being successful. Uh, because truthfully, I mean, that, that's truthfully, you know, that's not far off at all. I mean, that's, that's right on the money. That's Texas is a villain in college football as far as, 99% of the college football landscape is concerned. If you don't like Texas, you hate Texas. That's pretty much how it goes. And one of the things that Casey Thompson said this week that I thought was really interesting is he's sort of embracing that mentality. Um, he said, you know, when, when we, we asked him about, you know, what, how he was able to come in cold and in that environment and do that whole thing and, and get them on the board and be successful. And one of the things he said was, I love away games. I love the atmosphere. I love when people boo us. I enjoy being the villain. And I think that that's something that's, um, that Hudson doesn't necessarily have. He doesn't have the, uh, you know, at least yet, he's, he's so young. He can develop it. But Casey sort of seems to have this uh, – I don't want to say it's a villain mentality, but he sort of seems like he, he's a gamer. He's a, he has a killer instinct, that kind of a thing. And that sort of intangible is so hard to develop. And it's something that I think to be the quarterback at Texas, you have to have. Um, I think Sam Ellinger had it. I think Vince Young had it. I think Colt McCoy has it, had it. Um, Major Applewhite had it. You know, there's and, – and you could tell when, you know, they didn't have those quarterbacks that had that trait, they weren't as successful. Uh, Garrett Gilbert, David Ash, Chris Sims, um, you know, Shane Bouchelle was good, but you could tell there was a difference when, when Ellinger came into the game. So um, if that's something that Casey – I mean, we haven't seen it because he hasn't been a starter. I mean, he hasn't been a starter in a game since he was in high school in November of 2017. So – this is going to be something new for him as well, but if he really does have that and he can translate that to the field, um, that's going to be, that's going to make an immeasurable difference for Texas. 100%. Um, and, and I think that's all, all those reasons you laid out where I think part of the reasons why Sark went with Carr at, at the beginning was because it's like, that's why I'm calling Casey the fail safe. Cause it's like, we kind of know what we got over here in Casey Thompson, if the guy with the higher ceiling doesn't work out. It, it's like, it's like rankings, right? I'm, rankings are a big part of, of my life, my work life, you know, everywhere else I've been before SI, we ranked for the NFL and we ranked to project the ceiling. Well, at SI, I, I rank for the floor and we rank for college football. 
you know, that's, that's what we're projecting. We love when we watch the NFL, that's fine, but we love college football. So we're projecting there. And this kind of feels like that where it's like, you know, Casey Thompson's your high floor guy, but Hudson cards, your high ceiling guy. So play the high ceiling guy because you could always default back to the high floor guy and kind of know what you're getting. Although again, like you said, this would be his first start since 2017, which is sounds crazy to say out loud, but obviously he's got, you know, uh, the years of, of, of practice experience and backup experience under his belt. Uh, and then the recent game experience has been good. And it, it, it's not as pretty. It's not conventionally college football, quote unquote, in terms of throwing the ball down the field and all that stuff that honestly Sark is used to, but it's efficient. He protects the football and he puts points on the board, which is at the end of the day, what you want your guy to do. So um, I, I really see the contrasts here. And I think that's part of the reason why not only card got the nod early, but why this is a good time to switch it up. Yeah. And it's like, we kind of talked about with the, or well, I guess like what I just said a few minutes ago about, um, you know, the gamesmanship and all that stuff, Texas has a history of having these exact competitions throughout, you know, all, all the way dating back to the beginning of the Mac Brown era, you know, or, or at least a little after the beginning of the Mac, Mac Brown era started with Chris Sims and major Applewhite. Chris Sims was the heralded guy with a huge arm talent and major Applewhite ended up being the better choice for that program because you know what? He won games. He wasn't as talented up with his arm. He wasn't as talented with, with all the other parts of his game, but he had that, you know, that winner mentality, that gamesmanship, that killer instinct that put them over the top. Um, it, you know, right after that, it was Chance Mock and Vince Young. Vince obviously was the number one quarterback recruit in the country, but he had a different mental aspect than Chance Mock. Chance was a very talented quarterback, um, but Vince won that job because he had that killer instinct. And then, you know, you move on to the next one, Colt McCoy and Jevin Sneed. Who had heard of Colt McCoy before he won that starting job from Jevin Sneed, who was, you know, behind Matthew Stafford and, you know, one or two other guys, like he was right there in the, in the conversation for the number one quarterback in the country. I remember watching Jevin Sneed play Matthew Stafford, Stephenville versus Highland Park in a state championship sem semifinal. I was like, oh my God, both of these guys are going to be NFL Hall of Famers. So, and Colt McCoy beat that guy out because he was a gamer. And if Casey Thompson is that, is the latest version of that for Texas, that will be huge. Obviously, it's too early to say anything like that because he hasn't started a game yet. So we'll kind of have to see how it goes. But all of this being said, none of this means that, that Hudson can't come back and win this job, you know, next week. It doesn't mean anything like that. He's still very young. He still has a long way to go. And he has every chance of being a great quarterback at Texas. Um, it's just a matter of him learning to do, to deal with the things that he had to deal with at Arkansas and deal with the things that, you know, that, that are coming to him with uh, the adversity he's facing behind Casey and, and, and winning the players trust back in a, in a tough environment and all those things. Um, I mean, after all, he is a, he is a red shirt freshman and has started two games. So you know, there's, there's still so much room for him to grow. Obviously he has the arm talent, but we just kind of see, kind of have to see what Casey does this weekend and go from there. Yeah. Not to mention again, everybody who's, who's 
who started college football last year, it was kind of like an asterisk, not only in terms of eligibility, but just in terms of what you could do. You know, the spring was different. The, the preseason was different. It just wasn't the full immersion into college football that, that we're so used to, where we see these quarterbacks like a Trevor Lawrence, you know, really emerge immediately because they've been there for eight months and it was an intensive eight months and a normal buildup and game plan and practice and all that stuff. Of course, Hudson didn't have that last year because of the pandemic. So I think that that should be taken into consideration as well as uh, not only at Texas, but around the country as these year two guys aren't necessarily blowing everything out of the water as much uh, relative to expectation. I think that plays a big part into just why, because the circumstances were obviously so different. We know how important the quarterback position is, hardest position in sports, most important position in sports, and the most information in your brain in sports. So anytime that is affected, I think it could slow a little bit of the development. And a kid like that looking rattled as a year two player wasn't necessarily what I would have projected. But when you start to you know, open your eyes and think about it a little bit more in that kind of atmosphere. And you're kind of, you're losing from the beginning of the game. And it just kind of felt like things weren't going well for Texas beyond the scoreboard. It just felt like the little breaks didn't go their way uh, more times uh, than not. And, and you could kind of just see that in cards body language. And I think the more you look into it, the more understandable it is. One of the things that, that Sark said after the game and that the players kind of intimated at was that they went into that game a little bit too confident and, you know, coming off of a, of a pretty, pretty convincing win over Louisiana. Um, <coughs> excuse me. It's not really that surprising. I mean, that look, new coach, they came out their first game. They did what they wanted to. They dominated. And then they head into Arkansas thinking, hey, we got this. We're back. Not like back, back, but like, hey, we're, we're rolling. Um, you know, we're really confident in ourselves. And then they just get punched in the mouth. And they're back to square one. They, you know, they're, they're humble again. They're, they, you know, they, um, they know what they did wrong. They know what they have to fix. But how does that loss really affect the program? Did it come at the right time? Did it, you know, is it exactly what they needed or, you know, do they have to go back to the drawing board and fix a few things? I mean, what, what does this do to Texas going forward? I think there's an element of going back to the drawing board, but I think there's also an element of the scheduling gods having rice coming to your stadium when you're, when you're PO'd. Um, yeah. I think a lot of that will help to correct the, intangibles here um confidence being the most important one um i think this is still i feel like you're still seeing the learning process both ways not just player to coach under this new coaching staff but also coach to player because while you did have the eight months that you talked about there is something to be said for live bullets live action and, and you talked about the quarterbacks being gamers. That, that goes for everybody else as well. So now you've got eight quarters of tangible evidence of whether or not player X can get it done when the lights are brightest. Uh, so I think those evaluations internally 
are going to be important for Texas to continue, not just at the quarterback position, but I think at linebacker, at wide receiver, does more youth need to be thrusted into this thing? Xavier Worthy keeps having these little flashes. You know, what? where where are the boundaries going to be pushed now that eight quarters of tangible evidence is in the books? And I think that's where that's where coaches make their money. Just like we talk about in-game, coaches make their money after halftime, right? What were the halftime adjustments? What part of the game plan did you scrap? What part are you emphasizing? And what part are you doing on the fly? And how does that all come together? Coaches are judged that way. You know, when, when people are playing Alabama, everyone says, well, talent-wise, this could be a game in the first half, but you expect Alabama to wear on Team X in the second half because of Nick Saban and the talent, right? So, so he gets that benefit of the doubt because he's been there and done that for so long. Where is Texas going to start doing that in season? Now, it's not just in game, in season. On the in-between Saturdays, what, what are you tweaking? What are you adjusting on the roster, in the game plan? Does it, is it as simple as simplifying? Could that be a, a quick Band-Aid over to the next game? Could that work against Rice, where you're immensely more talented? That answer could be yes. But again, that's where a coach knowing his team and feeling the pulse of his team can press or, or lay off uh, as needed. And I think that's still obviously being figured out. Okay. So let's transition a little bit. Um, we've, we've kind of talked the Arkansas rice game or Arkansas, Texas game to death. Uh, at this point, people are probably tired of hearing us talk about it. <laughs> so uh, let, let's move on to something a little bit more exciting here. Um and I know you, you and I plan to talk recruiting, and we are going to do that about a certain player here in a minute, but we just had some semi-breaking news uh, on the Twitter pop-up. According to Steve Wiltfong over at 24-7, Harold Perkins will be visiting Texas on Saturday night for the Rice game. So um, that's some pretty big news because we were just talking about linebackers. Uh, and Harold is one of, if not the best, linebackers in the 2022 class i can't remember exactly where he ranks in your rankings but uh tell us a little bit about harold and if uh you know we, we know he's big on texas and texas a&m and lsu those kind of seem like the three that are in the most in the running here but um what what is your take on perkins perkins is a ferocious linebacker and he's really He's really a better athlete than linebacker at this point. He's a really good running back. He's a good edge rusher. But in terms of height, weight, explosiveness, the projection is a home run, no doubt, off-ball linebacker. Uh, he's, he's a kid who in the short area is as twitchy and bouncy as any prospect pound for pound in the class uh, of 2022. Uh, Matt, for us, he's ranked in the top 40 nationally, regardless of position as the number 37 prospect in the uh, SI 99 rankings. And, and, and that's without as much true tape at linebacker. Like I said, he plays running back, he plays off the ball. Uh, so, so we get, we get a lot of football player in watching Harold Perkins. We don't get a whole lot of uh, true linebacker, but wh wherever you're watching this kid, it's just fun. I mean, he's just a fun kid uh, to watch on tape and and the real common denominator with some of these elite linebackers recently talking last five ten years in high school they all play running back and those traits carry over 
when you're when you're running the football, you need you need vision and balance to navigate the wash. When you're combating that, you need vision and balance to navigate the wash. This time on defense, you're you're um, occupying blockers or moving around blockers as well. Um, and I think that stuff really translates with Harold Perkins on tape. 6'2", 215 as well. Uh, but he's under control. He's not just like a bat out of hell all over the place because he's just the best athlete on the field. He does play with a control and a maturity already that we don't see with other top linebackers. So uh, obviously super high on this kid. Uh, I think this would be, like you said, ironically enough, the type of prospect Texas needs in the middle of a new age defense, whether you're playing the Arkansas of the world that want to run it at you, or you're, you're playing a team that's going to throw it 50 times, like, like in Oklahoma, maybe, you know, you need prospects like this who could stay on the field all three downs. So getting him on campus at any point is a big deal um, because like you said, and LSU have, have kind of been the, conventional top two for him for quite some time uh and and here's texas kind of re, you know reminding everybody that they're absolutely uh in this race so um i think this is really big news for texas they've got to hit on some prospects like this in the class of 22 and look recruiting is going really well right uh, i i don't want to make it seem like the uh perception on the field is carrying over uh, recruiting is going very well for sark uh, in the 2022 cycle. Uh, but obviously there is no Harold Perkins type prospect committed just yet. Um, guys, this is why we love having John on the podcast because I literally just threw him that on the spot and he just talked for five minutes about, about a prospect that we <laughs> had no preparation about talk, for talking. I think about, he was, so. I think he was going to be on another campus, but his high school game got pushed to to Saturday morning. So uh, you talk about we talked about the scheduling gods with Rice on the schedule, but not only that, but the kickoff time is going to enable a, kind of a sneaky last second visit of uh, from Harold Perkins. So if that was a, an 11 or 12 o'clock kick, you, you don't get the kid on campus. So, again, you know, a little luck never hurt. Yeah, yeah. But just another indication of why John Garcia is our is our go to guy here at the Longhorns Country Podcast. But, John, there is another piece of big news on the recruiting front um this week uh people may have heard of this guy i don't know uh the nephew of peyton and eli manning arch he is the number one quarterback through most recruiting services on uh for the 2023 class uh obviously sports illustrated we, we haven't come out with our 2023 rankings because we do one at a time which i prefer uh because i already have a hard enough time keeping up with 2022 um but arch is he set five visits or is it four visits or five visits to uh to camps this fall or to campuses this fall uh texas being one of them he's going to visit october 16th for the oklahoma state game uh he's also taking visits to ole miss for the ole miss lsu game in october um and he is he's taking a visit to clemson on october 30th and uh, where else is he? He's going to Alabama for the Alabama Ole Miss game as well. So, um, and that is on uh, that is on October second, and then ah, in Georgia, South Carolina on September eighteenth. So he's he's kind of he hasn't released his top schools, but it's it's starting to become pretty obvious which schools are actually in the running for this kid. 
Um, obviously he's a massive, massive prospect. Um, he potentially could be the biggest recruiting name in the recruiting game in, in a decade, it seems like, um, everybody wants this kid. Everybody wants to be a part of, of, of his recruitment and get the scoops because he's very hard to get a hold of. You either have to go through Cooper or someone else or his coach or whatever, he, he's already a megastar and he's and he's a sophomore in high school or a junior in high school. So it's, it's, it's crazy. We've never seen anything like this before. Walk us through this whole arch thing. And I don't even know where to go from here, but just tell us what you think of arch, I guess, and, and walk us through this whole arch saga and, and where this could go and what you think and all, all, all that good stuff, because this, this is, already turning into a, a monster monster thing yeah there's no doubt about it and i think that's why he's taking a longer look at, at everything um you know when when i first got the si job my like one of my first assignments was doing this voiceover for a piece that ross dellinger wrote on arch manning who was a ninth grader uh, at this point now of course he's a junior uh but as a ninth grader he outplayed Peyton and Eli at the same school there, uh, Isidore Newman there in New Orleans. Uh, so naturally, when you combine that with the name in this day and age of recruiting and social media, the kid's going to go nuts. Um, and, and they've tried a lot to keep him not muzzled, but, you know, to keep control of, of the narrative. He is starting to talk here a little bit more. Um, and look, it's warranted. Now, you know, at that time, he was like 6'1", and you're like, oh, is he going to grow and all this stuff? Now he's like 6'4", and he's running around more like Archie Manning, uh, which is his namesake, and he's this good athlete. And he works with a speed trainer in the New Orleans area specifically for that, like twice a week. Like, he, he wants to be this modern quarterback, which is ironic because Peyton and Eli Peyton was a statue. We all know that. Eli could move a little bit, uh, could move enough, uh, but he really kind of wants to combine all three of them, which is, you know, a science fair project that the Avengers are funding. Um, but this is kind of what we got here. 6'4", 200 pounds. He moves really well. The trigger is so quick, which that will remind you more uh, of, of Eli. Uh, Peyton's was so fast. You know, I don't think he's quite there yet, but his trigger, how quick his release is, is somewhere in the Eli ballpark right now. Uh, and the arm strength is there. The athleticism is there. And he's just, he's just 16. I mean, he's, it's, it's crazy. We're, we're talking about all this physically. He's, he's going to be, he's going to look something like Daniel Jones physically coming out in a year and a half. Uh, and then once he gets to college, he's going to get bigger, faster, and stronger. So he could be the most hyped recruit who also backs it up at the next level. Um, and his recruitment is following suit. And like you said, he's never really broken down these top schools in terms of saying, hey, this is my top five, but he's visiting the same schools over and over again, right? It's, it's Texas, it's Clemson, it's Bama, it's Georgia, and it's Ole Miss. It's Ole Miss a little bit more recently, but we obviously know that's the school he's most familiar with. Uh, his, his dad went there. His uncle went there, his grandfather went there, his grandmother went there. I mean, that's the school that, I mean, Ole Miss did something yesterday about their renovated football facility, which is, uh, isn't it called the Manning Center? And Archie's there talking about Ole Miss, you know, so 
Ole Miss is entrenched in this kid. Um, and, and in the pre-internet era, that's why it was such a big deal that Peyton went to Tennessee because everything else was so no-brainer. Ole Miss, obviously, he's going there, blah, blah, blah. Let's not even talk about it. So Ole Miss is where he is most familiar. But now he's starting to get back to Oxford a little bit more. Uh, Clemson had buzz with him. Georgia had buzz with him. Alabama's kind of always the second or third school brought up, but they're never on the extremes at the very top or at the very bottom, which, which means, hello, they're right there, don't count them out kind of thing, which, which we shouldn't anyway. Uh, and then there's Texas. And I think Texas is kind of the outlier in this conversation in terms of just SEC footprint familiarity and Southern footprint, and then there's Texas. Texas is kind of alone here. It will be in the SEC footprint eventually, but I'm talking geographically and, and conventionally speaking, Texas is a bit of an outlier, but I think it comes with the expectations there. It comes with Steve Sarkeesian and his quarterback friendliness, which is hard to sell on the field right now, but uh, over time, he has proven that, uh, and he's going to give all these schools another look. So it tells you that his recruitment now is going to extend perhaps beyond his junior year of, of high school football, which is not something I anticipated. I thought he was going to, since they were so controlling, they were going to have him take visits in the summer when visits were back on, which he did to these same five schools. And he was going to kind of wrap it up before the greenies kicked off their season, which I believe was either last week or this week. Uh, well, obviously that's not happening. I thought they would just got to get him committed and move forward so he could focus on high school ball and not worry about recruiting. Well, they're going to take trips uh, every other weekend, it seems like. And this thing's going to extend into uh, 2022, it seems like, uh, the spring of 22. So I'm a whole year off of my uh, projection for, for when Arch may decide. And, and maybe that's, that's what's best for him. You know, there's obviously, you know, college football's nuts. You know, Clay Helton was fired two weeks into the season. So you want to kind of see – what those coaching staffs look like, um, you know, closer to when he would actually enroll, which would be uh, most likely January of 2023. So we're still over a year away, a year and some change away from when he would enroll. You know, what about, what about the coaching staffs at these schools? You know, how much longer is Saban going to coach? Um, what about Steve's staff at Texas? What do those assistant coaches look like? when he gets closer to enrollment, Clemson, Dabo Sweeney, Tony Elliott, they've been tied at the hip. I saw them both in an NFL uh, coaching candidate uh, article on SI today. So, you know, how much can these things change uh, over time? I'm not sure, but it looks like the kid's going to be patient uh, and kind of do the opposite of what I thought he was going to do. He's going to take in all these game day atmospheres and most of them are going to be pretty great, uh, especially with some of the matchups he's going to see. And we'll go from there. But I, I do think Texas's relevance on his list and consistency on his list says a lot about Stark and the Texas brand. Um, the Mannings know how to brand. The Mannings know how to market. The Mannings know how to hold the spotlight on the field and create the spotlight off the field. And the, the, Texas just feels like that to me. With, with Arch's involvement and keeping Texas around. Because even when you talk about uh, just prestige, you know, eliminating Ole Miss, which is clearly the, you know, the heart of that family, you know, and it's really 
Clemson, Texas, or excuse me, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, kind of by themselves, and then Texas and Ole Miss is down here. Ole Miss, we know, is where its heart is. So for Texas to stay in this fight, I think, says a lot. And now we know this decision is going to extend at least another four, five, six months. So you're in the fight for the thick of it, and you can turn things around on the field to complement what you're selling to him off the field. We know his visit went well in the summertime. Uh, to Texas and obviously he's reciprocating that with another trip so as long as you're in the fight you've got a chance and and when it comes to that kid a puncher's chance is is good enough yeah and you know one thing that Texas and and Ole Miss both have and and Clemson has a little bit to to an extent but it's an advantage that I think Texas has Texas and Ole Miss have over it, it might be the only one that they have over uh Alabama and Clemson and Georgia is their quarterback minds that they have running their programs. Um, Bill O'Brien, you know, is what he is at Alabama. You have Nick Saban, that's fine. Dabo is Dabo at Clemson. Georgia is not exactly the most quarterback-friendly school, I, I don't think. Um, Justin Fields transferred, uh, you know, that's a whole other thing. But Texas has Sark. Ole Miss has Lane Kiffin. I think that is huge for both of those because, truthfully speaking, they might be the two brightest offensive minds in college football. And I think that's very appealing for someone like Arch who wants to not only maximize his brand and all that stuff, but he wants to to be – I mean, he wants to be the best quarterback in college football, obviously, and he wants to be a top draft pick. And, you know, honestly speaking, those two guys might be the best – two coaches for him in the long term to get him to that point i mean just look at the quarterbacks that they've that they've played with on the roster um you know Tua tongue of iloa mac jones uh you know dating all the way back to to uh to usc with Sar- sarkeesian you know uh matt liner all those guys like it's it, it's very obvious what these two can do with quarterbacks, no matter where they've been, they've had successful ones and they've had dominant ones, even yeah. if they weren't the most highly recruited guys coming out of high school. So if you put a guy, a guy with tools like that in the hands of those two coaches or one of those coaches, and you allowed them to mold that clay, Arch could really, really turn into be, to be something that even we don't expect him to be, which, you know, and I, I'm not trying to, to get hyperbolic or anything here, but it, you, you just kind of have to salivate at the, at the, the, um, the idea of what Arch could be with the tutelage of those two guys. You forgot Steve Sarkeesian with Jake Locker at Washington, right? I mean, oh yeah. I mean, he's <laughs> everywhere he's pick. gone. He, Crazy. He just breeds quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, that's a really, really good point. Um, and, and I think there's something to be said for kind of blazing your own trail. You know, I think, when you get into the GOAT conversation, if he goes to Ole Miss, my goodness, it's like that's hanging over you every snap. Uh, Tennessee's not in it, but it would be even worse there. Um, when, when you think of Texas, though, there's kind of the extremes, right? You've got the overall GOATness of, of, of Colt McCoy, right? The volume, the longevity, the winning. You've got the smaller sample goatness of Vince Young with, with the natty. And then you've got the kind of feel good goatness of, of Ellinger that, that is still fresh on, uh, on most people's minds. 
Um, you can kind of go mess with that if if you're Arch Manning. You know, I, I don't think that exists at Ole Miss, uh, certainly not Clemson, uh, just with their last decade, much less before that point. Um, and Bama's got a pretty good thing going right now, too. So if you want to go kind of make your mark, you know, Arch Manning's generation didn't watch Vince Young and Colt McCoy. You know, um, Arch Manning's generation has seen greatness at all those other schools for the most part. So, you know, I think there's, there's, you can craft a really strong argument for the Longhorns in this thing. But again, just being in the race to me at this point, September 17th, when you're one and one and all the other programs are looking a lot better, um, that's, that's a lot um, because we just know the heavy hitters that that Texas is up against. And um, until this thing is corrected on the field, it's going to feel that way off the field. Yeah. And, and we'll close with this uh, quick thought right here, but the last thing about Arch that I think is important for, for everyone that doesn't follow recruiting very closely uh, to realize is that if you land a guy like Arch, it's a domino effect. Once, once he commits to whatever school he commits to, whether it's Texas or Ole Miss or Clemson or Alabama or Georgia, you're going to start to see a flood of commitments follow him. Uh, you know, he's very close with the likes of like John Tay Cook and Ruben Owens and guys like that. I can almost, I can't guarantee because I'm not a, I'm not in the inner circle of Arch, but I can almost guarantee that once Arch commits somewhere, those kids are probably going to follow suit pretty quickly. Um, you know, maybe they want to go do their own thing, but, but quarterbacks and, and Malik Murphy's sort of to a degree had this effect on Texas when he committed, they had, they had a run of commitments and he's a very vocal recruiter and, and, and it's it quarterbacks can be that for their program. And Arch has, will have that times a thousand. Everybody's going to be want a part of that train, not just from the fan perspective, not just the coaches, but the other recruits will want to come in and build with Arch and take wherever he goes to the next level, because that's going to be the most highly uh, publicized program in the country for that four year span. I can, I can see it now. So that is also, I think something that a lot of people, a lot of the more casual fans probably aren't thinking about. Yeah. They should think Trevor Lawrence here. I think in terms of not in terms of skill set, they're a little bit different, but in terms of, of how galvanized it is, Trevor, like Deshaun Watson and, and Taj Boyd and those guys put Clemson on the map as a staying power top 10, top 15 kind of school. Trevor Lawrence perceptionally blew it out of the water for Clemson. Number one player in the country, number one quarterback, kid who was was super hyped all four years in, in another part of uh, a, a, an important college football location, Atlanta. Arch in New Orleans, Trevor in Atlanta. Going into quote-unquote enemy territory and pulling out a, a potentially generational kid changed the perception of how we viewed Clemson recruiting and Dabo Sweeney. They already had the one Maddie, but it just changed. It just went to the top level. They were on the, the top of tier two. They got Trevor and he went through his run. They jumped to tier one with Alabama, Ohio State. Uh, so you talk about the perception and, and how people want to play with that kid. Yeah, I mean, Clemson's still going down to Atlanta and plucking great prospects now, uh, which, which, which is important. But, you know, Trevor Lawrence has something to do with that. 
and, and Deshaun Watson was a North Georgia kid too. So uh, that's a whole, that's a story for a different day, but that can change immediately and over the long term. Um, and Steve Sarkeesian has landed some huge recruits, huge recruits. You, you land a kid like this and nobody will ever question your recruiting prowess ever again. Just like the benefit of the, of the doubt has been given to Dabo and to Saban and to some of these coaches, you know, I think that would, put Sark in that in that territory immediately because it's just different when you're the head coach. Lane did it as an assistant. Um, Sark did it as a head coach at Washington, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't that perceptional talent. It was a developed talent. So if you get the guy who perceptionally is ready to go today, it can boost you and jump you up a couple tiers all by itself almost. So um, that would be, you know, that would be the story of, of several years, not just one if Texas were able to pull this thing off. So yeah, people might not follow it closely, but it's, it's that big. Just think of Trevor Lawrence, just think of that and all that entails. And that's what Arch Manning's recruitment uh, could do. Well, John, it's always a pleasure. Um, We always really appreciate you coming on. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. It always is a lot of fun. Um, Before we get out of here, tell everybody where they can find you. Always a pleasure, my guy. Uh, SILAmerican.com, college football, college basketball. Recruiting information day to day. Uh, I was down in Georgia for a game Thursday, checking out the number one offensive lineman in the country, Elijah Pritchett. Got a fresh story up on him, evaluations, takeaways, the whole nine yards. We got some class rankings we're working on for October 1st, never too early. So, yeah, all free, uh, all for you, SILAmerican.com. Well, that's going to do it for another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. Uh, we are live everywhere now. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts, all of the above. So uh, please go c- check us out, like, rate, and subscribe. We'll be back next week with a another uh, another edition breaking down the rice game, and maybe we'll have John on again. Who knows? We'll see how it goes. But uh, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your buddy, um, you know, go subscribe to Longhorns Country Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Yes, sir. Fight, 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 fight.